You're listening to a sermon from the Spring Midtown Church in Phoenix, Arizona. If you'd like to learn more about the Spring and its ministry, please visit thespringmidtown.org or follow us on Instagram or Facebook. Uh, well, good morning, you guys. Welcome. You guys can respond. Good morning. That's a good thing. Good morning. We're glad you're joining us here. Uh, Today is kind of a special week, a special Sunday at Midtown. We're calling it Mission Sunday. And the reason for that is we're setting aside some time to talk about our mission, our values, and our vision uh, here at this church. What it is that are distinct, uh, the the items that are distinct about who we are as a community. And I want to give some context before we dive in as to why we felt like this would be helpful for us and our church community in this season. In a lot of conversations I've been having with many of you, Uh, with other leaders in this church, our elders and and friends outside this church, transition has been a consistent theme. All of us, in a a myriad of ways, are experiencing transition. Uh, That happens for us, for instance, with COVID. We're trying to figure out what it means to re-enter the world and establish healthy rhythms, how we love our neighbors well in the middle of that, what we do when there's these variants that come up, right? There's all of these kind of complicated transitions we're working through. And then this church community itself has been in transition. A year and a half ago, those of you who are around will remember, we met in a place called Create Academy, which seems like it was like a decade ago. It's crazy, because COVID seems like it was an eternity. And then following Create Academy, we started Zoom Church, so that was a whole new thing, and it was fun and cool at first. And as with all things Zoom, quickly became a bummer, staring at a screen all the time. And then now we're in this new space. We've transitioned to Hope Women's Center. We're figuring out what it means to love our neighbors right in central Phoenix, right along McDowell here to serve women who are in need. And then we've also had leadership transitions. We've had two new elders step into new roles. I've stepped into a new role here. We've had new community group leaders. It's been transition after transition after transition. And on the one hand, that's really exciting. I've heard from a lot of you that you're excited about the things we're getting to do at Midtown, things like the Q&As. We're going to be doing some awesome art outreach here in the local community as well. Movie nights and uh, spending time connecting with local artists Uh, We're serving and loving our neighbors, all this exciting stuff. But the other hand of transition is often uh, an overwhelmed feeling, especially in a world where everything is moving. Transition can kind of just feel like, all right, I got to take a step back, right? That's cool. That's all great. But I, I can't deal with change right now. Everything in my world is changing. And if my church community is changing, it's a lot. And so we're aware of that. We're aware that change and transition can do that. So we want to take a week here this morning to step aside and reevaluate what the point of this whole thing is. What is the church and why do we do what we do? We want to answer those big questions to refocus ourselves on what the whole point of this thing is, what it is that we're doing as a community together. And so we have two main goals this morning that I want to touch on with you guys. The first is to remember what the church is and why it exists. What the church is and why it exists. So to do number one, we're going to look back at what the first church really looked like in Acts 1 and 2. We get a a really sweet picture in Scripture. And then we're going to talk about how Midtown lives as that sort of church. And I want to be clear as kind of a caveat on that Midtown point, that second point there. We're not attempting to reinvent anything at this church. We're not trying to form a new vision, vision or forge a new way. We're simply trying to give clarity to what already is true about this place so that we can continue to live into that reality. So I think when we talk about our mission, our values, and our vision today, you guys who have been around will be able to nod your head and say, yes, that's what we're about. That's what this thing really is. Uh, And that was born out of a lot of conversations with you guys. So in order to do those two things, let's dive into scripture together. I'm going to be reading from the book of Acts, if you have a Bible to join us. 
Uh, we're also going to have the text up on the screen here behind me. Uh, Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8 is where we'll be. Uh, feel free to follow along with us here as well. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. And after his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over the course of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you've heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, it's not for you to know the times or the periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this book of Acts that we get in the New Testament, it's actually a follow-up to a previous book. Uh, it's written by the same guy who wrote the Gospel of Luke, uh, which follows after his name. Luke is intending both his Gospel message and this book of Acts to be one connected story. They're separated in our Bible, but he wrote them to the same person. He mentions a guy named Theophilus. To him, there is no distinction between the Gospel as it's revealed in the person of Jesus Christ, the story of his life, death, and resurrection, and how the church lives out that story in the world. Those are uh, connected things, not distinct and separate things. And so the natural next step to following Jesus, the natural next step to knowing who Jesus is, is the, the outpouring of the church, is the church living in the world. We have this weird idea sometimes that faith is just this very individualized thing that I walk. And it is an individual thing, but it also is a communal thing. It's something that we live together in the body of the church. So the gospel message is one that we hear and then uh, that we get to participate in in a community of people. That's uh, the message that we learn from Luke's connected gospel and this book of Acts. And so in these first few verses, right away, we're getting a picture of how this gospel starts to play itself out in the church. And there are three distinctives that I think we can notice in these eight verses here. And the three distinctives make up an acronym, C-A-W, which spells out CA which sounds a little bit like a certain bird. And I have a friend of mine who does an excellent crow impression, and I think it will help you never forget this acronym. So Ryan McNichol, if you could, uh, show off your crow impression for us. <laughs> you may have thought, yes, excellent. Give Ryan applause. It's taken years of hard work for him to really nail that down. Uh, we're looking to see if we can get uh, bird calling as an Olympic sport in, uh, in the next Olympics. We'll see if we can make it happen. Uh, well, now you're going to remember, CAW, right? This acronym, uh, the noise that a crow makes here. Uh, that acronym represents three main words, uh, and I've got them up on the screen here. The first is communion, the second is absorption, and the third is witness. So communion with Christ is the first distinctive there. Absorption in the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit, and then witnessing to what Christ has done and is doing. Uh, we see all of that happening in these first eight verses. Uh, so let's dive into each of these, uh, because I know that there's a little bit of kind of Christianese language. Christians like to use words that make sense to them, but to the world can be difficult to understand. And some of these words are that way. But I want to dig into them a little bit, because they're really powerful. And I think when we understand them, it uh, helps us better live into what the church is called to be. So starting in verse 3, let's, let's look at communion with Christ. Notice 
that Luke shows us in these few verses that Jesus showed up after his resurrection convincingly to them over the period of 40 days. So there's a few different things going on there. First, Jesus' resurrection is made clear in that a large quantity of people are experiencing his resurrection life. A large quantity of people are sitting with him after he rose from the dead for a sustained period of time. And that's really distinct amongst world religions. Uh, many world religions start with one particular holy individual having one particular kind of mountaintop moment and then starting a faith from that mountaintop moment in the revelations that they have there. It's usually about rallying towards an individual who had one particular experience. Uh, you see this in some of the Eastern faiths. You see this in uh, Mormonism here. You had one particular religious experience that sparked this movement. But here, in the Christian faith, you see a pronounced and sustained experience with Jesus that's uh, attested to by a multitude of people. That's why it's plural here, them. He showed himself to them, not just one person. Uh, this is a large group. In uh, other places in the New Testament, we learn that hundreds of people encountered Jesus after his resurrection. There's this huge community. And that happened repeatedly over the course of time. It's not just an isolated experience. And so right away, right off the bat, in the first few verses of this passage, we're learning that the Christian faith, from the start of things, involved community. From the get-go, it involved a group of people gathered around Jesus. And Jesus makes it quite clear that being a part of that group of people is an essential part of walking in the faith. That is a crucial part of what it means to be a Christian. And he also reveals here the focus of this community. Notice, Luke shows us where this community is, is uh, being formed. It's not around a particularly charismatic uh, speaker. It's not about, around a worship product, music that I like or singing that I like. It's around the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus shows up and this community learns from him, eats meals with him, uh, receives his teaching in their lives, and then they form this church community around him. And so communion with Jesus, learning from him, experiencing his presence, that's the first principle of the church. That's the first distinctive that we have. We don't gather around a philosophy or an ideology. We don't gather around impressive or talented speakers, although we hope that our ministers can communicate effectively, right? I'm all for teaching well. I'm all for David McVicker, man, incredibly talented. I'm all for great and talented people, but those people are not the reason we gather. We gather because of what Jesus has done in our lives, and we long to experience his presence again and again. And that's why we do this meal up here every week, this thing called communion. We believe that a real unity exists between the believer and Jesus when we uh, eat his body together, uh, this bread and this juice. We believe that we absorb in this power of Jesus in our lives and are forgiven. We're given grace. We're called beloved. All of that happens in uh, knowing the presence of Jesus and experiencing it. So that's the first distinctive that we learn about the church. Communion with Christ here. And our church culture, you guys, has adopted some consumerism and some individualism that has made it about a person up front, has made it about a product that I consume, and that's not the point. The point of the church is to experience more deeply the love and grace of Jesus through communion with him. So that's the first distinctive here, the C of the CA acronym. Uh, the second distinctive here is absorption in the Holy Spirit. And you notice this happened in verses 4 and 5 here. Jesus tells them that the kingdom will come through the arrival of the Spirit of God in and amidst the church. He uses language like being baptized by the Spirit. The language there is, is more like being immersed in the Holy Spirit. Uh, we have the uh, 
sacrament of baptism to indicate that uh, thing happening in our lives. We go down into water and we arise a new and fresh person, unified with the Spirit of God. And so what he's saying here is that the same presence that moved in the person of Jesus, the same presence that brought healing and love, the same presence that brought, brought redemption and restoration, that same presence also moves in and amidst the church. It moves in and amidst this community. The Spirit of God, uh, scripturally, is the agent of life. Both the Hebrew and Greek terms, the word for spirit is actually the same word that's used for breath. It's the very thing that arises and bring, brings life to all things. So what we're learning here is that uh, when the Holy Spirit comes upon this community, the church gets caught up in bringing life, in bringing healing, in bringing redemption and restoration to all things. And that's something we desperately need in our world because we have other powers at play outside these doors all the time. And sometimes they can even get inside these doors. So those powers like sin and death that encircle us all around. We've experienced those in really intimate ways over the last couple years. We've lost family members to death. We've become jobless. We experience deep, unfulfilled longing. We lash out and hurt other people. We build systems of oppression or live in systems of oppression. We harm our planet. We are being absorbed into a broken world ruled by powers and of death and decay. That's always happening around us. And we are longing to be free from being absorbed into that sort of world. And the message of Jesus, the gospel, as Luke is proclaiming it here, is that there's a different thing that's happened. There's a different world that we get to be absorbed into. And it's not a world of death and decay. It's a world of life and flourishing. It raises the humble and brings down the proud. It feeds the hungry and gives sight to the blind. It heals trauma and pain. It forgives sin and forgets shame over our actions. It brings justice to systemic evil. It heals a broken planet. The gospel is the redemption and restoration of all things, and that comes through the life-giving spirit of God. That comes when the church receives that life-giving spirit and starts to move and live differently in a world that's ruled by different powers. Uh, Luke uses this uh, metaphor of kingdom language. That's why we get the idea of Jesus as king. There's a kingdom of death and decay that rules in the world, but Jesus has brought a different kingdom. He is the king of the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God reverses all of those things that are broken in our world. And so when that spirit indwells the church, we become the people who live this new reality of the kingdom. Rather than being absorbed into death, the church is a community that's absorbed into life and that expresses that life, that manifests that life in every part of their existence. The whole point of the church is to be a group of people that are being shaped to live into that new reality of what Jesus has done. Independent of what powers of sin and death might be out there, this power of Jesus will have the last word. And he has the last word in this place. We want to be the sort of church that lives with that reality in mind. There's a great quote by a theologian I love. His name's Henry Nowen. He puts it this way. He said, there's no clearer way to discern the presence of God's spirit than to identify the moments of unification, of healing, of restoration, of reconciliation. Wherever the spirit works, Divisions vanish, and inner as well as outer unity manifests itself. 
That's what the Spirit of God does in our midst. That's why we do this thing called the church, because we want to be absorbed into that sort of life. We have a world out there that's longing for that sort of life. And so the church gets absorbed into what God is doing in the world by the Spirit, and that means our lives start to change. Instead of becoming people who hoard and protect and who collect, we become people who give ourselves away. We become generous. Instead of being people who condemn others, we become people who are incredibly gracious, who welcome people regardless of what they've done or who they are, regardless of how the world defines them. We become people who give ourselves away rather than be people who are self-seeking, who long only for my thing in our situations. We ultimately become a people being progressively moved by the life of the Spirit of God bit by bit in our lives. And we become the manifestation of that thing to the world. And that idea of being the manifestation, that's the third distinctive of that CAW acronym, a witnessing here. We ultimately become people who are so shaped by Jesus that when other people look at our lives, it can't help but serve as an indication that something else is going on. Our speech and our actions both witness to what Jesus has done, what the Spirit of God is doing in our midst. That's why Jesus says in verse 8 here that you will become witnesses. And notice where those witnesses actually uh, live. It says you're going to be in Jerusalem, but then you'll proclaim it to Judea and then Sumeria and then to the, uh, Samaria and then to the rest of the ends of the earth. It keeps expanding out. And we notice this happen in chapter 2 of the book of Acts. So what Jesus says is going to happen in the church actually does happen. In chapter 2, Christians are together, and the Holy Spirit, this life-giving spirit, does something incredible and crazy and remarkable. He gives them the ability to speak languages that they didn't know beforehand, so that they might speak to every person they encounter. It happens during the festival of Pentecost, which was a huge festival at that time. Thousands of people would have been in Jerusalem from all over the ancient world who spoke different languages, who had different ethnic backgrounds. And the Spirit of God arrives to say, hey, all of those things that separate you in the world not in my church. You're going to be able to speak languages that you didn't know so that this message can get to everyone, so that life and flourishing can reach every possible person, regardless of how the world defines them. And that sort of witness, it happens in two ways. It first happens when a guy named Peter, who followed Jesus around, starts to preach. He speaks about what Jesus has done. He proclaims with words the arrival of the redeeming and restoring kingdom in the person of Jesus. And he invites everyone to start to live into that new kingdom. And so that's the first way we become witnesses. We become witnesses by speaking this message to people. And again, witnessing is kind of one of those Christianese words. It's not as if you use your language to coerce people. That's not what's being said here. Instead, the indication for Christians is that we're inviting people to the life that they're made for, that we all are made for. We believe that the person of Jesus gives us our human vocation and that in knowing him, every single one of us starts to live the life that we were made for. And so our job isn't just to grow our little religious institutions. Our job isn't just to build up our thing. Our job is to witness to what Jesus has done in our lives so that everyone might live more fully and freely in theirs. And so the church tears down walls of division and coercion. And guys, I know it can be socially awkward to talk about what Jesus has done in your life. I know that that's a little weird. And sometimes those who are outside these doors might think it's a little weird. But something powerful happens when we do it. 
something really remarkable happens when people who trust us see that our lives are shaped by something different. They start to think, what's going on with that person, right? They're, they're giving a ton of money away and they don't seem as consumed with these worldly things that I'm consumed with. They don't seem to have this deep inner restlessness all the time. They're people of peace, people of love. What's, what's going on there? And so our speech gets to be the thing that invites those people in that says, hey, all of those things about me, they're not about me. They're about what Jesus and the Spirit of God are doing in my life. They're about uh, the kingdom of God and how I'm learning how to participate in that. Come along with me. Join me in it. Because I think it could change your life. I know it's changed mine. That's what speaking this means. It's not this weird manufactured picture. Uh, it's instead this really organic thing of us sharing what Jesus has done in our lives and inviting other people to it. But it doesn't just stop with our speech in Acts chapter 2. That's an important thing because a lot of times Christians just think if I've just talked about Jesus to people, I'm good to go, right? I've shared the gospel and I haven't really considered how it uh, has implications in my life. As long as I give them the message, then it's on them, right? But the, at the end of Acts chapter 2, that passage we read to call ourselves to worship this morning, we learned that the church serves as a witness through the way it lives as well. It's not just about what you say with your mouth, it's what you live in your actions. Being the church doesn't just mean saying certain things, it means living different lives based on what Jesus has done. And so a primary witness of the church is whether or not it looks like Jesus. If the church is looking more and more like Jesus, then it's living it's calling. You can always grasp the witness of the church based on the cohesiveness of its actions with the person of Jesus. You can always see the witness of the church based on its cohesiveness in its actions with the personhood of Jesus Christ. And so a question we always want to ask in this church is this question. Is this group of people, no matter how big, no matter how small, is this group of people becoming more like Jesus all the time? If this, is this group of people changing the priorities in their life? Is this group of people being shaped by a kingdom of God and not a kingdom of death and darkness? And if the answer is yes to that question, then we are being the church, friends. We are being people who can start to transform the world around us. So these are our three distinctives of the church. We learned from Acts uh, chapters 1 and 2. Communion with Christ absorption in the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit, seeing every part of our life change, and then witnessing to what Christ has done and is doing. And we witness through our speech and our actions. It's a lot of information I just threw at you there from eight verses, but I think it's helpful for us to remember what is the whole point of this church? Separate from the production, separate from what goes on up here, separate from sometimes the social awkwardness, what is the core of who we are? So that uh, when we do that, we can start to live this out in the world today. And the reality is, we live in a radically different culture than the people who wrote Acts 1 and 2. We live in a place that speaks a different language, that has heat that's a little bit different, although it is arid. It's a little bit warmer here than it was there. We live in a different governmental system, political system. There's all sorts of different nuances to this. And yet, that same redeeming and restoring power in Jesus exists for us today as well. And so the question becomes, how do we learn how to live the distinctives of the church that existed in Acts 1 and 2 today in our own context? How do we start to do this as a community together? And that's where we at Midtown have specific language to describe that for ourselves. We have a mission, we have values, and we have a vision. And our hope is that this language captures that Acts 1 and 2 picture of church for us today. 
I want to first start with our mission. The idea of a mission is that it's the language that you will always hear in the church. It's the language that you're going to know and eventually just have memorized without even realizing it. Our language is this. The Spring Midtown exists to invite people into a transformative relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's really concise and really compact, but I want to dig into a couple of those words a little bit and show you how this is connecting us back to that church from so long ago. So first, that word invites here. Just as the church in Acts witnessed through its speech and through its actions, we as Christians want to be invitational to our world today. We want to be people who, whose lives and whose speech indicates uh, what God has done in our midst, what the kingdom of God looks like. And it's not coercive, like we said before. It's invitational here. And the second word there, it connects pretty well to that idea of being absorbed into the Holy Spirit, absorbed into what God is doing. Uh, this transformative language. To be honest with you, transformative isn't a word. We just made it up. It, it fits. You guys understand what it means, but we made it up, which is something Christians like to do. It's kind of funny. Over the course of uh, Christian history, Christians have always just made up words. Uh, but I think it really effectively captures what we're doing. We are people who get transformed at every level of our lives by what the Spirit of God is doing in us. And so just like the church in Acts, we see our minds and our hearts start to change bit by bit. We become transformed in everything that we do. We want every part of our lives uh, to be uh, indicative of this life-giving power of God. And so we prioritize whole life discipleship at this church. Uh, we don't believe that becoming a Christian just means I've been saved and I wipe my hands of it. Becoming a Christian is a long obedience in the same direction, as Eugene Peterson called it. It is a long journey of knowing Jesus more deeply and getting to know him in a community of people. We also, though, realize that that transformation isn't just for us. That transformation exists for the rest of the world. And so we partner with other organizations like Hope Women's Center, like Circle the City, in order to see that transformation come to others. And so when there's injustice in the world, when there's pain in the world, when there's need in the world, we believe that Jesus arrived so that those things could be healed. And so we want to prioritize that as a church community together. So we not only see that transformation happen in ourselves, but we see it happen out there in the world. And then we advocate for people as well. You'll notice we often pray for lots of things going on in our world. We aren't insular. We don't just think about our needs. We consider the needs of everyone around us because we know that Jesus came to heal them as much as he did us. And then finally, uh, the third part of this mission statement that's worth bringing up here is relationship. This connects pretty well with that idea of communion with Christ uh, from those uh, initial distinctives. And so just like the church in Acts, we want to emphasize communing with Jesus. Knowing Jesus, following him, learning from him, uh, eating with him, sharing meal with him, those are all ways that we get to learn who Jesus is more fully in our lives. And so this language is something you're going to hear all the time. This is kind of the outward picture that we give everybody of what we're about as a church community. But that picture, if it just stays there, if it just stays in language, isn't super helpful. We also need values to underpin that language. You can say something all you want, right? But if your actions don't back it up, if the way that you do it doesn't back it up, then you get into trouble. And there's a lot of places that say they want one thing, but their actions don't seem to align there. We don't want to be that sort of place. And so we make sure that we have values that underpin everything we do here at Midtown. These are our five values as a church. First, the value of hospitality. Uh, we want to be a safe space for people who are spiritually wandering. 
because we know those sorts of people exist in our world all the time. And many of you have been able to sit in this church in a wandering period in your life. Maybe you've been hurt by a church previously. Maybe uh, you've been dissatisfied with your walk with Jesus. Maybe you're questioning the whole thing altogether. Maybe you've never encountered Jesus before in your life. Maybe you have no idea what this looks like. Wherever you are, you are welcome in this place. We want to share meals with you. We want to share life with you. We want to care for you. We want to know what's going on in your life. And so this value of hospitality is something that radiates from every part of this community. And I see a couple nods in the room because you know that that's been true for you. That's what we want to emphasize here. We also emphasize authenticity. Uh, so this buttons pretty nicely with hospitality. You are welcome here wherever you are in your spiritual journey. We have no desire for you to show up and wear a mask and say I'm a certain type of person. You don't have to impress anyone here. Now, the person of Jesus welcomes every individual regardless of where they are, and we want to be a church that doesn't force you to wear a mask. We want to be a church that enables you to come wherever you are so that Jesus can meet you there and walk forward with you from there. The third uh, kind of value here that underpins what we do is, is gathering. Uh, COVID has obviously made that challenging and a little weird over the last couple of years, but we are a church that loves to gather because we know that life is made to be lived in community and that the church is made to be a community who follows Jesus. And so we gather in a variety of ways, and we do that uh, through rest and through play. We do that through learning and teaching. Uh, tonight, if you don't have anything going on, we're going to go hang out and have a super fun trivia night. Uh, if you're not on a team yet, you can still join a team. We want to emphasize gathering together, uh, sharing life with one another. We do that on Sunday mornings, we do that throughout the weeks and with a variety of events. We also want to emphasize these two last things, discipleship and mission. And this, again, connects pretty well to that transformative picture of following Jesus. We want to be people who don't just do it for ourselves, uh, but we also look outward at the rest of the world to say, how can this message get to them? And so I learned to follow Jesus more deeply by living in this community. That's a value of our church. And then I express that uh, mission of Jesus, what he's doing, what he's done in my life, and how he's healing the world, I express that uh, to everyone else. Those are uh, values that inform everything we do at this church. And the hope is that we end up accomplishing a vision, that this place has a vision at the end of things. So our vision is this, that Midtown would become a bastion of Christ-like living that participates in our culture for the flourishing of Phoenix and beyond. So a bastion of Christ-like living. Bastion's a fancy word, I know. Uh, it basically means a center, a hub, a place where people are becoming more like Jesus all the time, and that is radiating out from this community. The people at Hope Women's Center see it. The people in this neighborhood see it. We want to be a church that if we disappeared, people would notice and long for us to return. We want to be a presence that radiates the love of Jesus to every part of our world. That's a bastion of Christ-like living. We all want to do that also in our culture. We don't uh, live as people who condemn every part of the world around us. We actually believe that God is at work all the time, even in places we don't clearly see right away. And so we want to participate in our culture in the ways that God is already at work. Uh, we don't come to reinvent everything or say we have all the answers. We participate in what's going on. And the end game is that Phoenix and beyond would flourish. That this place, that the people who live in this neighborhood and in the city at large would continue to flourish, that we would plant new churches in other parts of the city so that that flourishing could continue. That's our vision here at Midtown. So that's kind of the big three things that you want to remember for us, our mission, our, our values, and our vision. Those are important things, and you'll hear those often or you'll see those exemplified often. 
Just a couple other things that I think are worth uh, you knowing about this place. We also exist in a larger structure here at Midtown. Uh, so we are connected to a group of churches called Eco-Presbyterian. Uh, those churches gather around certain uh, beliefs, certain shared uh, emphases. Uh, and the big things that you need to know, you can always ask more questions if you want to dig more into what this means, but the big things that are helpful for you to remember is, one, that we have a theological grounding that is rooted in centuries of church history. It's rooted back. All of the problems that we face in our world, all of the ways that theology works its way into our culture, those have been addressed and talked about for church history all the time. We get to return to those uh, theological groundings as a church. Uh, we pull from church history because of that. And what that means is if I start going crazy up here, if I start saying stuff that's way out of line or way out of whack, there is a system in place that will prevent that from happening for very long. That you can actually go and report if there's teaching uh, that's off here. You can actually have an initiative in that with larger bodies uh, here within this Presbyterian structure. And that's super helpful as well when it comes to governance. I know, unfortunately, and it saddens me deeply, that abuse happens all over different types of spiritual communities. Trauma is inflicted on people all over the place. And so we have a larger structure beyond this church where if that happens, God forbid, that happens uh, from a leader up here, that happens from a community group leader in our groups, if any of that happens, you have a recourse, you have a response. You have the ability to go to a larger body who can investigate it and who can take actual uh, judicial action in it, who uh, protects these church bodies. We believe that that's super important because we don't want that sort of thing to happen in this community. We want this to be a safe and loving environment. And in order to do that, we've got to have some structures that help implement that. So that's kind of the big eco thing. Some other distinctives you should know about eco. We celebrate women in ministry. We believe that scripturally and across church history, we get affirmation that women are called to every form of leadership in the church. If you have questions on that or want to discuss that more, I'd love to. Uh, I think it's a, a beautiful expression of sharing leadership together in the church. Uh, we also care about planting new churches. I mentioned that briefly, but ECO emphasizes having communities like this all around our country so that flourishing could continue to happen in every place. Uh, and then we also have uh, the kind of emphasis on the sacraments that are important to us here. We emphasize baptism. We emphasize communion. Those are kind of big picture things. If you want to get into the weeds a little bit more of some of that or if you want to chat more about that, I'd love to. You're welcome to. We have a Q&A actually happening after service next week. Uh, so you can bring those questions there if you'd like as well. Uh, but for the sake of time, that's kind of the big picture of our structure. So all of that said, again, a lot of information I've thrown at you. We're going to have this up on our YouTube channel as well, so you can return to it if you'd like to later on. Uh, we can also send out the, uh, the individual slides to you if you need. Uh, but friends, you have a place here. Every single one of you has a place in this community. Regardless of where you are in your spiritual journey, regardless of the sort of questions that you're asking, regardless of the pain that you might be carrying. This place is somewhere where you can safely pursue the person of Jesus and know him more deeply and experience his love and grace. And so I would encourage you to take a next step, whatever that looks like for you. There's a lot of next steps you can take. If you're someone who's just visiting for the first time or started coming around, keep coming on Sundays. Keep meeting people. Keep getting to know others in this community. And once you kind of start to feel safe and loved by those people, join a community group. If you've been coming for a little while and you're not as well connected, if you don't know people as well, jump into a community group. We have uh, sign-up sheets and all the information on the front table on your way out if you'd like to check out a group. And once you're plugged in in a community group, come and serve. All of these chairs got set up by someone. 
This camera got set up by someone. Slides are being run and uh, the recording is being run. There's people serving our kids right now. We need uh, a community of people to do all of this together. And then we also want to make sure to serve our neighbors. And so jump in with our service opportunities that we have here. Uh, and generally, just participate and invite. Come to stuff. Get to know people. That's the only way to invest in a community is to, well, do it. That's the only way to start to live uh, with a, a uh, healthy understanding of relationship is to well, trust people fairly and rightly. Uh, you don't trust everyone equally, right? But step into this community, uh, whatever that looks like for you. Participate in next things. And then finally, give. None of this happens. None of the, the restorative and redemptive work that we get to do at Midtown or that we get to participate with God in doing, none of that happens unless we have financial resources to make it happen. So wherever you are, friends, take a next step. And at the end of all this, I was, I was thinking, preparing this, thinking about this mission and vision, it can feel a lot like, all right, let's buck up and do it together, right? Let's get it together as a church. Let's do this together. But friends, scripturally, we're not the ones that make any of this happen. It's the Spirit of God that moves in our midst that makes it happen. It's the person of Jesus, active, walking up and down these aisles, healing people. That is what makes any of this happen. And so this language isn't uh, this buck up and do better sort of language. That's not the intent here. Instead, this language is intended to say, how can we receive what God is already doing and come alongside him in it? It's like a river is already flowing of the kingdom of God, and we're just trying to step into it. We're just trying to float with it. And the language is what enables us to float. The language is what enables us to travel with what God is doing here and in the city of Phoenix. So friends, wherever you are on your spiritual journey, my hope is that this place is a place where you can take your next step, where you can see what it looks like to participate in the kingdom of God more fully in your own journey. You have a bunch of people who are getting to do that with you. You're not alone. You have a bunch of people who are living out this calling that God has given us through the church. And so you're all invited to a transformative relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's pray together, friends.